Church. We're doing a series called This is Church, and we're talking about kind of our core values. What makes Grace Marietta Grace Marietta? What are the, what are the core values and behaviors that we want to lean into? Uh, what are, what, what's the kingdom culture that we want to create here? And so we've been walking through kind of each of those values over the past few weeks. So we start off by talking about uh, soaking the altar, the idea of we believe in radical obedience. We believe in trusting that God is working and moving. We believe in a holy expectation that we can show up expecting that God is going to move, and so we come ready to receive. We talked about passing the cloak, and Chris Mormon came, and, and I just want to make a comment about Chris Mormon. He's Australian, and I know he's kind of cool, and like I, I know that some people really like that sermon. I noticed that I've been here for seven years, and we've never shown a clip of a single thing that I've said in a sermon on social media. Uh, but Chris Mormon shows up once, and uh, it just ends up all over the place. So just, he's all right, but here's what he talked about. He, he, he just talked about the idea of we give what we have to the next generation. That the job of the church is to prepare the next generation and to grow the next generation and to help the next generation uh, experience all that God has for us. And so we want to invest in our young people. We want to invest in our kids. We want to invest in the next generation. And we want to train and disciple them to come up to know them. We want to pass on what we know to them and give it over and over and over again. And then last week we talked about wrecking the roof. The idea that there is no limit to put God in. There's no box that we put him in that we want to wreck the roof to get people to Jesus. We want to do whatever we possibly can to help people connect to who he is and, and, and what he's doing. And this week I want to talk about hearing the whisper. Uh, and this to me is the most pivotal of all of our values. And, and it's the one that kind of every other value builds off of. It's this idea that we want to learn to hear the voice of God. We want to actively co-discern the voice of God. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. But I want to start by talking about listening. Uh, listening is becoming one of the most marketable skills in the job world right now. Uh, that actually there are employers that are in their interviews, asking specific questions just to discern whether the person they're interviewing can listen. Is this person able to have empathy and compassion? Are they able to hear? Are they able to discern what's happening? Do they have this level of emotional intelligence to see what's happening across the table from them? Uh, I would actually argue with you that in the workplace right now, the meta skills, the skills that are needed the most are soft skills. And sometimes what we think is that we think what we bring to our job is our skills, our experience, our knowledge, all of the things that we know, what we bring to our jobs is our whole self. And so as employers are, 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 are learning, like, how do we create good cultures? How do we create healthy workplaces? They're learning that the soft skills, the ability to have empathy and compassion and kindness and love and generosity, it's almost like the fruits of the Spirit matter in the workplace. It's almost like God said that a long time ago, and, the, and people are just starting to catch on to it. I love it when I read like business books from people who don't know Jesus and the whole thing is just like, oh yeah, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Have you not heard that before? Like we should love people. 
Yeah, it's a good idea. We should people over profit. Yeah, good idea. Like, but they're acting like it's a new idea. We've been talking about this stuff for a long time. Y'all just haven't been showing up on Sunday, right? Like this is, this is the stuff that matters. And so listening is this core skill. Uh, uh, listening is, has become this crazy, crazy industry right now where everybody's trying to learn how do we find quiet space. There's this acknowledgement that we're not so good at being quiet, that we're not so good at settling ourselves down. I, I was thinking about this the other day. Like how many, if you're really honest with yourself, how many moments of pure silence do you have during a day? And when you have them, do you instantly grab your phone? I, I was thinking about this this week and I was catching myself that like, sometimes when I have a moment of, of a real quiet, I, I'm like, oh, I gotta do something. It's like silence means that we're not working or not producing or not creating. And so I, 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 anytime I drive in the car, I have to have some kind of noise. I don't know why, but I, I've got to have music or a podcast or an audio book going. I've, I've got to be on a phone call with somebody. I'm like, I've got 15-minute drive here, and I never think to myself, oh, this is nice. I'll just be quiet. I always think, I've got 15 minutes. I've got to do something. Are you with me? It's like we think that being silent is not doing something, when actually I think it is. Gordon Hempston is an acoustic ecologist, and what that means is that's a cool way for saying he captures nature sounds for PBS, right? Uh, he spent the last three decades searching for what he calls one square inch of silence in America. Fifteen years ago, there were 15 different places in Washington alone where you could capture one minute of uninterrupted nature sounds. Guess how many there are today? One. One left in the state of Washington. Now, I don't know what that looks like in Georgia. We're probably a little louder, at least near the city, at least near Atlanta. We're a little louder. Right? I, I, and, and, and so here, here's what he says. This is a, we've got a picture, I think, of Olympic National Park in Washington, which is this one space. Doesn't that look nice? I'd do a hike there. Uh, that's that one. That looks like Lord of the Rings or something like that. It, it, uh, it's this one place where you can find silence. And he says this, silence is not the absence of something. It's the presence of everything. Isn't that interesting? There's, there's, a, uh, there's a whole industry built around sounds that will relax you. Right? How many of you have an app on your phone that is some kind of sleep sounds or some kind of relaxing sounds or you hypnotize yourself sometimes or like uh, something, something like that? Yeah. Uh, everybody close your eyes for just a second. Close your eyes. I'm not going to hypnotize you. We're not going to do anything weird. But I want you to imagine you're relaxing at the end of the night and you press play on your phone. Got like the sound of the jungle or something like that. I don't know what this one is. Maybe this one doesn't work for you, so you, you try this one.
I don't know about you guys, but any sound of ocean or rain just makes me have to go to the bathroom, so I can't use that at night. So maybe you do white noise, pink noise, or some kind of color noise. Maybe it's a ceiling fan that you like to have the sound of. Keep those eyes closed for me. Maybe your sleep is not so relaxing and you just wait all night and this is the only sound you hear. <laughs> and it's time to get up and start moving. There is a whole industry that is based around this idea of quieting ourselves and listening. We had to put the alarm there so no one would fall asleep during that segment also. Uh, I, I thought about doing some really weird things, like, like what if I had you, like how, how, how awkward could we get with listening or quietness in the room? Like I thought about we're just gonna like try and go two minutes in complete silence in the room, that would have been a little awkward, right? You would have started hearing the heat turn on or the AC or whatever it is today. Who knows what? It's going to be 80 tonight and it's 30 in the morning. It's just who knows what we're experiencing right now. But, but you would have heard some of those kinds of things. You would have heard crazy things. I thought about how, how awkward would this have been? Make eye contact with the person that you're sitting beside you and sit in silence for a minute doing that. <laughs> how, how far do you think you would get with that? Even with your spouse, I think that would be awkward, right? I, I think like that's just a weird thing. Some of you who like here with a girl you want to date would be like, yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm done with that. Let's try that. Let's try that one. We could do some of those kinds of things. Um, with all this physical noise around us and our inability to quiet ourselves and listen, it, it's no wonder that we have a hard time encountering quiet. It's no wonder that we have a hard time being fully present in a moment. You ever have those moments where you're talking with somebody and you're like, I don't think this person's here at all. You ever have those moments when someone's talking to you and you're like, I know I am not here at all. Like, it's hard for us to be present. It's no wonder that all of us struggle to hear from God in a world that is so loud. Google allegedly has a room that is the quietest place in the United States. It is called the echo room. Uh, for a normal person, our, our hearing is at zero decibels. In this room, it's minus 20 decibels. And so it is so quiet that people can't stay in the room. The longest anyone has ever been able to stay in the room is 50 minutes. And that person left in tears. People have thrown up in the room. People get nauseous. People have passed out. People completely freak out. There's all of these things that start to happen in this room because it is so padded and so soundproof that there is no sound. So if you stay long enough, you're going to start hearing your own breathing and your own heart beating. And it's going to be loud because the room is so quiet. If you can stay long enough and you can stick it out, you'll start to hear your own blood flowing through your veins. That's, I don't, don't want to go in there after just hearing that. Uh, it, with, because there's no sound from the outside world, you become disoriented around where you are and you start feeling nauseous and you start feeling, because there's nothing bouncing off the walls and so you start to experience vertigo. 
in that space because of the sound and because of the quiet. And when all that fun is over, you lose your balance completely because there's no reverberation in the room. No one has managed to stay there longer than 50 minutes in complete silence. We cannot get quiet. And so how do we create space to hear from a God who whispers? There's, there's two types of uh, definitions for the word word in the Bible. There is logos, which is the written word of God. And so anytime we hear the word of God, right, we jump to logos, right? Which we associate right away with what? The Bible, right? It's the word of God. This is the word of God, right? I, don't, I went to a Christian school and we did like weird pledge of allegiances to like the Bible. This is the word of God, who we love and who we, I don't know what, I, I didn't pay that very much attention to it. But I had to like say like a America thing and then like a Bible thing. It was, there was, Christian schools are weird. Uh, but we think about the word of God, like the logos. Uh, the scripture says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word logos and the word logos was with God and the word logos was God. Luke chapter 8 says the seed of the word, Logos, was God. Philippians 2.16 says holding forth to the word, the Logos of life. 2 Timothy 2.15 says study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed because they have rightly divided the word of truth, Logos, right? This is the word of God. But there's another word for word in the Bible, and it's Rima. And Rima does not mean the written word of God. It is the whispered word of God. It is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's that word of God that comes to you, not through reading the Bible, but through discerning what God is up to. Have you ever had a moment where you just feel like God is speaking? Have you ever had a moment where it's just like, I think God wants me to do something here? you ever been drawn to a person or a place or had this kind of feeling of like, I don't know what's going on here, but I think the Lord is up to something. Have you ever been sitting in church and you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit that there's something you need to pay attention to? All of these things are the rima, the whispered word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rima, the word of God. Ephesians 6, 7 says, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word rima. That's interesting, right? When you're talking about putting on the armor of God, I was always taught the Bible is the armor of God. It actually says the whispered word of God is the armor of God. It is the voice of God that we carry with us into culture. As we walk out into the world, we put on our armor, which means we put on our listening and attention to hear what God is saying and where he is going. If you abide in me and in my word, Rima, I will abide in you and you, whatever you ask, it will be done to you, John chapter 15. So he, he, here's why this matters to us. This is why this matters. I would say this matters to the way that we run the church. It matters to the way that we live out the calling of God in our life. And it matters to every single one of us in our mission to, to awaken each other uh, to, to what God is doing over and over again. And, and, and it's this. We start with the word of God. We take our direction from him. Whenever we make a decision around here, the question is not, what will make the most people happy? 
The question is not, what is the church down the street doing? The question is not, what is going to fill the offering plates? The question is not, what is going to fill the room? The question is not, how do we attract more people to our church and connect more people from the community in here? The question is, what is God saying to us and what are we going to do about it? The question is, where is God leading us? Where is God inviting us? What is God asking us to do? Where is he asking us to go? And I can say without a shadow of a doubt that that is how decisions have been made around here. That our question that we're asking each other in board meetings, our question in staff meetings, our questions when we do retreats, our questions when we dream about what's next is asking the question, God, what do you want from us? Who do you want us to be? How do you want to create us in your own image? What kind of church do you desire for us to be in this place and in this time? We believe that God is always speaking. He's always present. And the issue is that we're not aware of his presence. And so we do everything in our power to listen and obey where God is leading. Jesus said, you will know the voice of your shepherd. And the question for all of us as followers of Jesus is, do we know the voice of our shepherd? Do we know what he sounds like? Do we know what that voice of God sounds like in our heads? And are we able to pay attention to it? So 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to carry on from where Elijah was last week. So remember last week there was the God showdown, right? Elijah said, you get all the Baal gods together. You guys do your thing. Whoever lights fire to the altar, I guess this was a couple weeks back. Whoever lights fire to the altar, we're gonna, it's going to happen. And so the fire came down from heaven. But here's what happens. After that happens, uh, Elijah soaked the altar. God did amazing thing. Breakthrough happened. Then everyone wanted to kill Elijah. And he ran away and felt all alone. So I'm leaving in a few weeks so I can say this really honestly. This is what being a pastor feels like. I can't tell you guys how many times I've seen God break through. Amazing things happen. I'm so excited. I'm so fired up. And then I open my inbox on Monday morning. And there's a bunch of crappy stuff from grouchy people that doesn't matter and is not significant and derails everything. And if you're not careful as a leader, and this doesn't just happen for pastors, right? This happens for all of us. If we're not careful as leaders, we allow those voices to control what we're doing versus the voices, the voice of God and what he's actually at work and what he's doing. There are times when the most mature thing that you can do is ignore. You can do it nicely. Thank you for your feedback. I've sent a lot of those emails over the year. I appreciate your perspective. Here, here's one of my favorites that I use a lot. I'm very sorry that I've disappointed you. All those things are true. But that doesn't mean that because every time somebody complains, we change everything or do something different or try and cater to everybody's needs. It's impossible for us to do those things. So Elijah, God does this miraculous thing, this amazing thing, this incredible thing. He was the lone prophet of God, and then everybody wants to kill him, and so he's run away. He's hanging out on the side of a mountaintop, and, and here's what he says. There he came to the cave, and he lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, guess what word that word of the Lord is? Rima or Logos? Rima. Yeah. 
What are you doing here, Elijah? It's not fun when God says that to you. (laughs) Are you with me? Have you ever had those moments where you're like trying to pray and God's like, what are you doing? That's probably followed by correction of some sort, right? What are you doing right now in your relationships? What are you, like, why are you spiraling, right? This is what Elijah is doing. God has done this amazing thing. God has shown his presence, but now Elijah is spiraling in his head. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. You know what repeats over and over again in 1 Kings is Elijah saying he's the only one when scripture actually tells us there's 750 prophets of God. So he's lying to himself. He's got a narrative that he's built into his own life that's like, I'm struggling, I'm doing this. You can, we all have these scripts that we play, right? We're able to like, I'm the martyr. I'm the one who always does the right thing. I'm the one who always does the holy thing. But these people over here, right? We've all got these narratives. And so he comes to God. He's whining and he's complaining and he's in a cave. He's literally in a cave. And, and God says, what are you doing here? And listen to his script. This, this sounds, a lot of this stuff sounds very much like the older brother and the prodigal son. Are you with me? I have been very jealous for the Lord. Some of the scriptures say zealous. The God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down their altars. They've killed their prophets with a sword. And I, even I, am what? I'm the only one left. And they seek my life. They want to take it away. So God's like, get out of the cave. Go stand on the mountain, and I'm going to show you something. And here's what we learn. And this is, this is a really interesting one. We're thinking about listening and hearing the whisper of God. The, the first principle that we need to learn is we learn to bring our whole self into the presence of God. We have learned to pray prayers that allow us not to reveal who we really are to God. Have you ever found yourself in that pattern of prayer where you're just like, it's all happy things and it's all good things, but that's not really where you're at? That's why I love the Psalms. David is like, Lord, kill my enemies right now. Like, just strike them down, smite them. Like, we never never pray smite prayers in America these days, right? We don't do that. But David is so honest. He's like, I'm so tired of these guys sending me emails, Lord, just smite them. Right? Like, he, there's, there's all of this. He, he comes with his whole self. And I like it how in the Psalms it starts off like, everything's terrible. Lord, you've abandoned me. Lord, you hate me. Lord, why is this happening? Lord, and then there's like this turning point in the Psalms, right? You know what I'm talking about? And then there's like, but the Lord is good. It, it, it's like David is working out his own junk with God in prayer. Which can I tell you, you are allowed to do. I have shouted at God in anger in my prayers, out loud, usually in the car. Don't do that around a lot of people, or maybe not like in the middle of the service. Uh, but like, I, like, God can handle your frustrations with him. The scripture teaches us that he's a good father. And what good father doesn't want to hear when their children are hurting What good father doesn't want to know what their children are experiencing? What good father doesn't want to know where their children have been hurt? 
We don't have to hide those things in the presence of God. Uh, there, there was a guy growing up at my church when I grew up who would do announcements all the time. He never preached. He was just like the announcement pastor. That's what we called him. We, we went to a big church, so nobody knew what he, his actual job was, and I was just a kid. I just knew that every time that guy got up in front, he was the happiest person I have ever seen in my entire life. He was so happy. He was so happy to be doing announcements. He was so happy, and, and it all felt so fake to me. I was just like, man, I don't know this guy at all, but I am pretty sure no one can be as happy as he is when he does announcements. We kind of do that when we go to church sometimes, right? We put on this like face that everything's great and that everything's perfect and that everything's good. Real community happens when we're real with ourselves and real with each other about what's actually going on in our lives. How many times do you say to somebody, how's everything going? And somebody says, man, it is terrible. Let me tell you the terror, like I had a week, like that doesn't happen that often. We, we've learned to just say, fine, I'm fine, I'm good. Or, ah, it's a little rough week. And then we turn and walk away. We do the same thing in the presence of God. We, we, we don't bring all of these things to the presence of God. So we've got to name what's real. We've got to be honest with God about where we are. Like the path to healing is, is, is first naming what's actually happening. You cannot heal from something you do not name. And so if we don't name what's actually going on in our lives in the presence of God, he can't show up and, and, and heal us and work in those spaces. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. 1 Corinthians talks about we go to God, but we have veiled faces. Like even in the presence of God, we put a veil over what's happening in our lives and we're not honest. We don't bring our real selves and our real challenges and our real hurt and our real pain to God. John Calvin said this, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. One is the knowledge of God and two is the knowledge of ourselves. Calvin introduced this concept that when we get to know God, the more I know of my creator, the more I understand myself. So the more I understand God, I actually am learning about myself because he's the one that made me. He's the one that created me. But he also said, the more I get to know myself, the more I see the signs of God in my life. So when I actually pay attention to what's going on in my life and in my heart, I begin to see a script that was written from the beginning of time. And I begin to see that God is working and God is moving. I begin to see that God is speaking. I begin to see that God is with me and around me. And so I want to know God better because knowing him better also allows me to know myself. But I also want to know myself better because when I know myself, I start to learn about my creator. We're, we're, talk, talk about fear of being silent. You want to know what we're really afraid of? Really afraid to look in the mirror. We're really afraid to self-reflect and ask ourselves the tough questions of like, why am I like that? Why do I respond that way? Why does this hurt so bad? Why am I experiencing this way? And we want to blame everybody else for where we are rather than genuinely look at ourselves and know. God is asking every single one of you the question every single day, what are you doing here? 
There's like this negative connotation around that, like standing before the king, right? There's this intimidating, I am standing before the maker, the creator, the, the, the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who breathes life, the God who has power over life and death, the God that commands the angel armies. I'm standing before that God, but there's also scripture that teaches us that same God who has power and authority is overflowing with love for you. That same God who has the same authority and passion knows the hairs on your head, knows the thoughts in your mind, knows the emotions that you're experiencing. He was there with you in those moments where you experienced the greatest pain that you've ever experienced, and he wants to meet you there, and he wants to heal you in those spaces. God is a God of redemption. God is a God of grace. God is a God who takes the worst moments that sin and culture and others throw at us, and he redeems them and makes them our story. Of, of resurrection. There are tons of people in this room who do amazing things right now because they experienced amazing pain in their past. God takes the thing that was intended to break you and he turns it into the thing that you heal others with if we let him. And so when we stand before the king, we're not standing before this king who doesn't know us. We're not standing before this king who doesn't understand us. We're standing before a king who's also our dad. When I pray for healing for people, I call on both parts of God for that. I call on a God who has power and authority, but I also call on a God who loves us and sees us. God, you see this person, and you see their pain, and you see their hurt, and you see how they want to be healed from this. And as a father, I ask you to heal. God, as a king, I ask you to work because I believe that you're powerful enough, but as a father, I ask you to love. And I don't know how God works. He's a mystery. I don't know why he chooses to heal some and doesn't. I don't know why sometimes when I pray that something happens and sometimes when I pray it, nothing happens. I don't know how God figures all those things out. But here's what I figured out in my mind. God is powerful enough to do it and he loves us enough to be there. And sometimes loving us enough means he says no because there's something going on that we don't fully understand. So scripture goes on. I'm going to talk too long. And behold, the Lord passed by, and there was a great strong wind that tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Just imagine Elijah. He's just been told to get out of the cave. He steps out of the cave, and all of a sudden, there's earthquakes, there's fire, there's, there's storms. Like There's all these things going on. And then it says, after the fire, there was a sound of a whisper. The second principle is that we learn to get quiet in order to hear the whisper. Uh, here, here's the spiritual principle here. God will not fight for your attention. He won't. Because he's given us this thing called free will. He's given us the ability to make our own choices and make our own decisions. And so he will not fight for your attention and your affection. He will invite you into those spaces. But if you want to go somewhere, God lets us go to those places. If you want to make decisions, he lets us make those decisions. I've got two kids in college right now, so I'm learning this principle really well as a father. Right? Are you with me, parents who have older kids? 
Like when they're little, you're like, no, knock it off. Don't do it. I'm telling you, I'm your dad. Stop it. I can't say that to my 21-year-old anymore. I, I, I have to let him go make mistakes. So when he decides not to work for a week and doesn't have money and calls me and is like, dad, I need some money, I have to say to him, buddy, you just took a whole week off work because you're in a fraternity and you thought it was cool to do that stuff and now you don't have money because you didn't work. This is how the world works. Work. Right? Like there has to be, I ha the, the, the relationship shifts a little bit where you have to let them do what they're going to do and then be there with them when they come back. And hopefully my children figure it out. We'll just keep praying for them. Uh, but God doesn't fight for us. He waits for us. Psalms 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Get quiet and hear him. The, here, here, here's how I train my kids to hear from God. I, I have this conversation with a lot of people that are like, I don't hear from God. This whole whisper thing, I, it, it just doesn't happen for me. This, so when I was teaching my kids, like, how do we listen to God? How do we walk in the Spirit? How do we learn to be uh, present for what the Holy Spirit is doing? I, I would ask them questions like, tell me a moment this week at school when you were nice. And my little kids would be like, there was this kid at school that nobody sits with at lunch. And I felt like I should go sit by him. And so I went and sat by him and I talked to him. And I was like, did you hear from God in that moment? And they said, no. And I said, who told you to go see them? And they said, I told myself. And I said, where did that thought come from? And they were like, oh, crap, God spoke to me. <laughs> God does these things, right? We, 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 we think that the voice of God is going to be some, like, bellowing kind of voice of authority that we hear in the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Is that right? Is that his name? All right, it's a little before my time. Uh, uh, but, but like the voice of God, it's this whisper. It comes with a thought. Maybe I should call this person this week. <laughs> you ever had that thought and you call the person and then you, they like start pouring their heart out or there's something going on that you didn't know about and you're like, huh, I'm glad I called. I wonder where that thought came from. Maybe I should show the fruits of the Spirit. Where does that come from? That's, that's the voice of the Father, guys. That's the voice of God speaking to you. And what we want to learn is we want to learn how to know what his voice says and how to be aware of his presence. So one of the prayers I've, I've learned to pray is, is, Lord, help me know when it's you. Are you with me? Uh, in fact, there's been seasons in my life where I was really in pain and really hurting, and I was calling on God as a father, and I would say to him, Lord, will you just be with me? And could you do me a favor, and when you're with me, will you help me to realize that you're with me? Because I'm so stupid that I don't get it sometimes. I, I remember praying this prayer after going through a really painful experience in my life, and I was driving in the car with my radio on, not listening to God at all. And, and this song came on, and it was a song that I loved. It was like, this is my jam right there. And I was depressed and discouraged, but it was a happy song. And I was like, eh, myself like kind of humming and nodding along. And I was like starting to feel better about stuff for a little bit. And, and I, I 
I had this little voice in the back of my head like, that was for you. 98.9, F101.3.5, the kind of music you relax to, didn't decide that, I did. Right? That God is always present and at work, and he's always working. Verse 13, it says, Then Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in a cloak. He went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came the voice of God that said to him, What are you doing here? Notice God asked the same question. Sometimes people are like, God's not speaking to me. I haven't heard from him in a long time. And I asked him, What's the last thing he said to you? Because sometimes God is so stubborn, he will just repeat himself until we listen. I'm not going to say anything else to you until you actually respond to the thing that I've been asking you about for the last 20 years. Let's deal with that. I've been zealous for the Lord. Does this sound familiar? The God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They throw down your altars. They killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am only left. They seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you will anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. I love this. Right, because it sounds like this. It sounds like this very arbitrary kind of thing. First of all, I love it because Elijah goes back into the exact same diatribe he did earlier in the text. Right, he's saying all the same things, which is what we do with God. God, I, I'm telling you, everything. Woe is me. All these things. This is so hard. And God says to him, "Hey, prophet, go do prophet things." Right. This is what prophets are supposed to do. Go anoint the king. This is the guy. I tell you what to do, you go do it. This is how this works. It's good. Get back to doing the things that we have called you to do. And that's when you're going to find your joy again. That's when you're going to discover your purpose again. That's when, where you're going to get your heart back is when you do the things that I've invited you into. The, it, we, we have this belief, young people, there's this belief that following God is going to take you on a path where you just have to follow rules and you're going to miss out on all the adventure and all the fun in life. I'm telling you, it is exactly the opposite. God is your creator. He knows your heart. He knows what you were made for. He knows what he deposited in you, and he knows the path that will take you to where you will enjoy life to the fullest, and you will experience the adventure of following him. You can trust him that he's good. And we get into these postures where we stop trusting that he's good and that he's working, and we stop trusting that the things that he's invited us to are actually the things that will give us life. I, I've told this story before, but I went to this marriage retreat once, and, and they, uh, I, they, they said the two code words that would get me to any marriage retreat. They were like, it's on the beach, and it's free. Uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, we're coming, right? It's like the $5 babysitting thing. You just say yes to that stuff. I don't, like, you just go. And I, so Sarah and I went down to the beach. We're there, and there's this, like, prayer time with couples, and everybody's praying. And, and, and then these people start going around and giving prophetic words. And this guy, like, awkwardly puts his hand on my head, which I just, if you're praying for people, just let's just do the shoulder. Well, we, don't, we don't need to palm their face uh, unless the Lord's really telling you palm their face. Like, it's a, not a basketball. It's awkward. But he was kind of, like, palming my face, and he, and he says to me, this is what he said to me. He said, what you think is going to kill you is actually going to give you life. And I burst into tears the moment he said that. Because at that moment, this was 15 years ago, I thought being a pastor was going to kill me. I honestly thought it was going to kill me. I thought I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't live that way. Sometimes the thing that we think is going to kill us is actually the thing that's going to set us free. 
And what needs to change is not what we do, it's how we do it. It's how we enter into it. It's the stories we tell ourselves as we're walking into it. It's our perspective that needs to shift, not what's actually going on. Sometimes others will never shift. Others will never change. The emails will keep coming. People will keep being frustrated. But you have the power to control yourself in the situation and control how you respond to situations. And so step into those places. The third principle is this. We learn to let God lead us into what's next. What are you doing here? This isn't what I called you to do. Step into what I've invited you into. If you feel like God hasn't spoken you to for a really long time, what's the first thing he said to you when you came to know him? What's the word you got from the Lord when you were a new Christian that you heard from him? And what's the last thing he invited you into? Think about those things, and maybe he's inviting you into what's next there. There's this journey of trust that goes on. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's, man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And the goal is alignment. It's getting back to what he called you to do. It's course correcting, right? If, if, I, if I abandon the presence of God in my life, and I don't get quiet, and I don't listen, and I don't hear, I just get a little bit of a click off. Right? Are you with me? Like I, it's not like I'm running in the opposite direction. I'm not jobing this stuff. Right? I'm just like a click off from where I'm supposed to be. But then the next week I get another click off, and then I get another click off, and all of a sudden my course is just completely off track. This is what Scripture talks about when it says walk in the path that God has for you. Learn to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, the path that he's lit, lit before you. Uh, Claire had a basketball game Friday night. She played at Fulton Science Academy. They killed those science kids. They beat them by 70. Um, <laughs> Those kids, but if there was a spelling contest, I think it would have gone the other way. Uh, but but I, 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 par, I, I put in my GPS, Fulton Science Academy. I wasn't paying very much attention. I knew the school was in Alpharetta. I was kind of end of the day making phone calls, just like, I'm going, I'm doing this thing. I, t- I plugged it in, I drove, and guess what I had written into my GPS? It just said Fulton County. And apparently Fulton County is like in the middle of a ghetto neighborhood sometime down, someplace down, downtown that is 45 minutes away from Fulton Science Academy. So I arrived at what I thought was the school and was like, there is no school here. Where, like maybe the school's hidden. Maybe it's behind here. It's, it feels like a weird place for a science academy. Uh, like I, I couldn't figure it out. And then finally I looked at my GPS and realized like I had programmed the wrong destination. I was going to go in the wrong place. And as much as I was frustrated and I missed the first half of the game, like I, it was my fault. If, if we've got the wrong coordinates in our head and we get a click off, we're, we're going to keep heading in that direction until something stops us and says, this isn't the destination. Which is why you've got to be quiet with God, guys. It's why we've got to find that space to let him speak. And, and the last principle I want to share with this is just this, that we learn to co-discern the word of the Lord together. Uh, there is so much written on this, and this is such a huge part of how we run the church. First uh, Corinthians 4 says this, it says, two or three prophets should speak, the others should weigh carefully what is said. 
And if the revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Here's what this, this text is saying. There is not one person in your church that hears from God that everybody else is supposed to listen to. I, I read an article from Christianity Today that said right now more uh, people trust police officers, uh, nurses, chiropractors was on there, than they trust pastors. Because every week we see another story of another pastor who failed in some capacity. You, you, you see the news stories of the few who do that, and you don't see the news stories of the hundreds and thousands who are serving faithfully over and over again, doing the very best they can in their place. And so that's created this whole culture of distrust. And some of that we have to name and deal with. We have to name the fact that we have given too much power and authority to one person who we believe is the one person that comes down from the mountain and heard from God. And we've not created accountability structures for that to happen. And we've not created culture of everyone hears from God. The first thing I did when I came here was I said, listen, guys, I can be wrong. And my motives are mixed. I have unpure motives sometimes. And sometimes I I, want to do what's best for the church, but there's this little weird thing that gets in there that's like my ego. And I want to stroke my ego with it too. And I want to do something that makes me feel good. And so my motives can be mixed and I can get it wrong. And I can say something that's the wrong thing to say. Or I can discern something that's the wrong thing to discern. Or I can say, this is the direction we're going and it's the wrong direction. And we've created a culture around here where we co-discern what God is saying. And so when we share what God is saying to one another, we don't say, God said to me and it cannot be argued with. Because that doesn't create healthy cultures. We say, I get a sense that God is saying this. What do you think? I have a feeling that maybe God is leading us in this direction. What do you think? I've got a thought. This is what I think God's been revealing to me. What do you guys think? And as a staff team and as a board, we talk about those things and we discern. And there have been times when I've been here, remarkably, where people have said, Ben, you are so wrong in this. That is not what God is saying. You're a dummy. Right? That is the burrito you ate last week. That is not the voice of the Father. Right? But you know what's really powerful? Is when God is speaking the same things to lots of different people in different ways or the same ways. We gather every single Sunday before the service and we pray. Um, we gather in, in this room, in this space, at 9.30, from 9.30 to 10. And it's typically the worship team the prayer team, the greeting team, whoever's serving that day, and we just kind of gather, and um, Angie will kind of walk us through some things that are going to happen in the service, and then uh, Savannah and the prayer team will lead us through some prayer exercises, and we're just listening to kind of like, what is God saying for today? Uh, This morning, there was this really emotional moment because five people had the exact same vision of what God was doing today. There was this alignment around what was God doing which is crazy. There was this sense of like, here's the picture that God gave me and everybody had the same picture in some kind of capacity. That's co-discerning. We're listening together to discern what God is up to and we're weighing the weights. First John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits and see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Here, here's the reality, guys. There are pastors that are bad guys 
and bad girls. There are pastors that love authority and power and use it for their own good. There are people that embezzle money. There are people that lie and cheat and steal. All of those things are true, and I wish it wasn't true. It's true. I'm happy that I'm going to leave being a pastor, and none of that nonsense happened while I was there, and I think that's the grace of God. Because there's been moments where I could have made decisions to make shortcuts, and the Lord protected me from that and surrounded me with accountability in that. We've got to test the spirits, and we've got to co-discern these things together. So uh, here's three questions that I have for you today, and this is what I want to just close and wrap up with. One is, are you making space to quiet yourself before the Lord? Is there room in your life to actually hear from him? Or could it be that he's trying to speak, but you're not quiet enough? Two, is there a course correction that's needed in your life? Is there somewhere where you've gotten a click off and God just wants to realign you and bring you back? And three is, who can help you discern what God is saying and doing? If you feel like I've never heard from God, we want to help you do that. If you feel like I don't know how to hear from God, we want to help you do that. Uh, in fact, every single week when we close our service, we do two things. We quiet ourselves and we take communion, and we actually have a quiet moment, which some people hate that. I've gotten your emails, I know, right? We're going to keep doing it, at least, in long, at least for the next few weeks while I'm here. Uh, and, and because I think it's important for us to just have these moments where we just stop and reflect and quiet ourselves and take in what God is saying. Every week we have prayer team that's set up on either side of the room and in the back. And every week there's an opportunity to go and pray with them. Every single week there's people in the room who would love to pray with you after the service and talk with you and guide you and direct you. All of those things are available to us. And so if, that's, if it's not a person here in this room, then who is it that can help you hear from the God, from the Lord? Is there a decision that you're making and you don't know what the right decision is? That's what the church is for, guys. It's like to help each other decide what's next. There's been people in this room who've come to the church and prayed about, like, I got a job offer and I, I could move to this city and I don't know whether I should. And some of them, we felt like, yeah, I think the Lord's saying yes, that you should go. We hate to lose you as a friend and we love you, but I think you're, God's got something prepared for you that's going to be amazing. And for some of them, we, there was this sense of, like, I think God wants you to stay. There's this co-discernment that happens when the church is really being the church that's absolutely beautiful. I need people that hear from Jesus in my life to help me. I need people to call me out on my own nonsense when I'm stepping into it. I need people to call me out when I'm making mistakes or I'm, my pride's getting in the way of what's happening. I need people in my life who have spiritual wisdom and discernment to help me discern what God is doing. And that's the kind of church that we want to be and we want to create. So I, I, I just want to, I want to invite you guys to something. Uh, for the last, I think it's probably like four years, Angie, we've been gathering for prayer before the service. You guys hear about it all the time because it's so important and it's so impactful. Uh, I'll be 100% honest. There is about one week a month where I'm like, I like first service better than second service. And first service was just us praying. There's no sermon. I'm not going to get it. I've gone 10 minutes over. It was flashing. They've just given up on me now, right? Uh, it's, that's not going to happen in, in that service. Um, but I've just had a sense, and I've had it honestly for like the last year. Every single time there's been a revival in the Grace family of churches, 
It's been because we made space for the Holy Spirit to do something and we didn't try and control the outcomes. It was just a, we're open-handedly opening up space and asking God to show up and work. And so I, I don't know what's gonna happen in the future, I'm leaving. But I wonder if 50 of you showed up next week at 9.30 and just said to God, I'm just gonna pray I'm just gonna soak in what you're doing. I'm just gonna get around other leaders who are praying also and see what God says and what God reveals. I don't know. I wonder if some revival kicks off from that. I wonder if a year from now, we have two services. And one service is just prayer and soaking. And we play a worship song we quiet ourselves and there's nothing professional or good about it. We don't use microphones. We just stand there and we sing. And then we just pray and discern what God is doing. And then we have second service that we all enter into where the pastor preaches too long and, everybody, and plays sleep sounds for everyone. I don't know. I, I just, there's a prophetic sense for me that there's something good to be found in that 9.30 to 10 o'clock time slot for all of you. And so we've never done this because it's always been for just volunteers or just leaders. But starting next week, I just want to open up that space for everybody. So if you want to come a little early, uh, there's no child care. There's no youth ministry. If you bring your kids, they're praying with us. That's great. Bring them. We'd love to have them. If you bring your students, they're praying with us. It's great. They can, kids can pray. We're, we're good with that, right? Uh, there's not going to be any kind of huge change in anything that we're doing other than we're just saying, hey, Let's be a praying church. Let's be a church that hears the whisper. Let's create a space that when people are trying to discern something or scared of something or trying to figure out their next steps, that there's a space for them to come to just be quiet. And if we can't find that in our own lives, maybe the church can help us get there by creating a program that does that for us. So next week, here's my hope and prayer. I'm trying not to use like, this is my last request for you as, as your pastor. So this is like my fourth to last request to you as your pastor. Could 50 of you come next week? Would you just raise your hand if you're saying like, I'll, I'll come. I'm, I'm looking at you. I know who you are. I mean, all right. So next week, I, I just gather in. And, and if, if it's not a, you're not able to come next week, then the week after that, but just start praying and just say, Lord, maybe I just need to create a, a quiet space to be with you. We're going to go to communion, and that is our quiet time, and there's a prayer team that's going to come on every side, and, and if you're trying to discern something and want to co-discern it, come and talk to them. If, if you want to hear from God and you haven't heard from them in a long time, ask somebody that's hearing from them to pray for you that you'll get what they have. It's one of my favorite things to do. Like, it feels like you've got this spiritual gift. Will you impart it on me? Will you pray for me in that way? Let's just create space for that to happen right here in this service. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're always present and at work, that you're always moving. We thank you that you are a king and that you are a father, that you have all authority in heaven and all power in your hands, but you also love us as your children and want to give us good gifts. So Father, I ask that you teach us to quiet ourselves and to hear from you. 
I ask in the name of the Holy Spirit. I ask in the name of Jesus. I ask in the name of you, God, our mighty and powerful Father, that you would speak to those who have never heard from you today. And I ask that you'd make us humble enough to ask. That you'd quiet us enough to hear. And that you'd work as we approach you. Thank you, Jesus.